Wonderful, wonderful, powerful music today in our time of praise and worship and celebration, all focusing upon the cross. And even though it is Palm Sunday, that's what we're focusing on today is on the cross and the significance of the crucifixion. When we come to think about the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, we think about his death on the cross and the crucifixion. And there could be a, a sense of understanding about that, that this is, a, this is a strange and difficult, and difficult thing to think about uh, in terms of the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. This is God who has come to earth, who is dying. And sometimes that's a difficult concept for us to think about. Why would God send his son into the world? Why would he allow him, the Messiah, the Son of God, to go to the cross and die as a common criminal? The book of Revelation tells us, though, that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And so that's what we focus on today. When we think about the significance of the crucifixion, is that we focus on the fact that this is Jesus' destiny. This is why Jesus came. As strange as it might be to find that this is God in the flesh who allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, this was God's plan. This was his will for his son. So on this Sunday before Easter, we focus our attention on the cross of Calvary and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we seek to find the significance of the crucifixion in this story. If you'll look with me in the Gospel of John. Chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. We'll read John's account of the crucifixion. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Other accounts give to us other details about the crucifixion of Jesus. Bottom line of it is it was a horrible death. It was a horrible, gory death meant to inflict pain and ridicule to the body of the one being crucified. It's interesting that in verse 23 that John makes the statement so simple. He says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus. There's no elaboration there. But we find accounts that tell us about the fact that these who were crucified would be exposed to the elements, whatever was happening that day. They were exposed there to the shame and humiliation and the mockery of the crowd and all who would pass by as they died, knowing that they died as a, as a thief or as a rebel or, or, or whatever they had done to disturb the Roman government. And the means of crucifixion was horrible in itself with the nails driven into the wrist and nails driven into the feet to hold the body onto the cross. It made breathing difficult as time went on. And ultimately death would come by suffocation as one would literally drown in his own body fluids. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ experienced. And still somehow it's interesting even when we think about the fact that this is what God intended for his son. That when we think about that term just simply the crucifixion and we as believers think about that. And, of course, it's the the execution of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I find it interesting that it still retains what I think is somewhat of a privileged status, even in the secular age in which we live today. When you say the crucifixion, I think most people today tend to recognize what we're talking about. Yes, that's where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died. And at the same time, there's never been any other death in human history that has had that effect and that legacy. And certainly not because of the way that God has designed this to be. There were thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of crucifixions during the time of Jesus. But none of them had any significance except the significance of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're wanting to unwrap today. What is the significance of the crucifixion of Jesus? What is this world transforming significance that makes the cross and the crucifixion today still known around the world. Well, we remind ourselves again that this was the preplanned, intentional will and act of God to deal with the seriousness of sin. That's the bottom line of the crucifixion. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world to send his son into the world to be the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and that he would die on the cross to deal with the seriousness of our sin. And so today let's think about how do do we measure the seriousness of sin? Is this an extreme reaction to that? Well, think about a couple other things. How, How do we measure the size of the fire? Is it by the number of fire engines that are dispatched and the number of firefighters who are there to fight it? How do we measure the seriousness of of an illness or a disease? Is Is it by the number of doctors who are involved in the case, how intent they are on working with you, 
uh, what kind of tests they run, what kind of medicine they prescribe, what kind of course of treatment they're talking about if it involves surgery. Then think about that with sin. How do we measure the seriousness of sin and compare that to the vastness of God's immense love for us? So we simply look at the cross and we look at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ where he allowed his son to die as a common thief in our place and we see the seriousness of sin. And this promise of God to deal with sin is woven all the way through the Bible. But I want you to go back to the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 53 where we find the prophecy of Jesus' death as the suffering servant. And I think there we begin to understand the significance of the crucifixion. Isaiah writes in 53, verses 3 through 6, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those are powerful words. At the same time, I think the clear teaching of this scripture, or at least it should be clear, is that deliverance for all people, deliverance for all people from the power and bondage of sin comes from the substitutionary suffering of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He suffers in our place. He suffers for us. And because of that, when we believe in that and put our faith in him, we are restored in our relationship with God. And it's all made possible because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And hundreds of years, many hundreds of years before this crucifixion of Jesus, Isaiah rightly prophesied what would take place on that cross. And here we find the significance of this crucifixion. The first is that Jesus bore our burdens on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was burdened by grief and sorrows and infirmities, but they were not his. They were ours. Jesus, God's son, died to pay the penalty for our sins and to bear the burden of our sins. Sin always has some consequence and a burden that we bear because of that sin. All of that Jesus bore on the cross. But he took on our sin, he took on our burdens. And Jesus, with the innocent substitution, bore the sin burdens of all humanity. He bore your burden and he bore mine. The Messiah, Isaiah tells us, is the one who has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. And that's just not only our hope for salvation, but it also reminds us as we are burdened in life and we are sorrowed in life and we perhaps maybe are burdened by the grief that we continue to, bar- to, to carry with us and be burdened with, with the shame of our sin, that all of that Jesus took to the cross and we can take all of that as we deal with that guilt and shame and we can take it to Jesus and he will bear that again. We don't have to carry that. We don't have to deal with that all the time. We need to confess it. 
If it's a sin that we continue to do, we need to get rid of that sin in our life. We need to repent of it, and we need to confess it, and we need to give it to Jesus because he died for that sin. And we're reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come to me, all you who, who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, other translations say, and I will give you rest. You see, you don't need to be burdened with the guilt and shame of sin because Jesus bore all of that on the cross. He did that in the crucifixion for you. Secondly, Isaiah tells us that Jesus received our punishment on the cross. In verse 5, Isaiah says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Now that's a striking picture, both of the physical and spiritual anguish that Jesus suffered. He was pierced. The nails pierced his body. The crown of thorns pierced his forehead. The spear ultimately pierced his body and was thrust into his side. He was crushed under the weight of our sin. He was punished because of our sin. He was delivered up as sin so that we could be delivered from our sins. And I think that should lead us to ponder a question. I've dealt with it this week. Why could God not just forgive us without sending Jesus to the cross? Why could God not forgive us without sending Jesus to the cross? Well, we'll attempt to deal with it, but the bottom line is that God had his justice that had to be satisfied. God is holy, and God is just, and God is righteous, and we had sinned. And we had fallen from that relationship with a loving God. And in sin, God had to punish sin and rebellion. And he chose to do so through Jesus. Maybe we can think about an analogy of of what took place a few years ago with the crash of the housing market in this country. Uh, Through, I think, some unwise banking principles and unwise guidance through the government, that the housing market took a tremendous hit. When people who had bought houses and they'd been financed for the house, they'd been financed for the down payment, and all those things took place. And there was a huge debt that needed to be paid because people couldn't pay for, couldn't pay for the homes that they had bought. And the bottom line is, is that something had to happen to pay for those costs. Something had to happen. But the government decided that the banks were too big to fail, and so that they would just simply forgive that debt. But we know that it just simply wasn't forgiven, was it? Somebody had to pay the cost. Somebody had to eat the cost of that housing market crash. And you know who that was. That was the American people. We, we ultimately paid that, that price. We, we ultimately ate that cost. You know, we, we, pay for, we pay the price for shoplifting. When the stores lose money, they have to up their prices, and, and we are, end up paying for that. We're the ones who end up paying for those kinds of things that take place. That, that's what happened here with the housing market when it crashed. Somebody always has to eat the cost of, this, of the debt. Well, at the cross, that was what was happening. There was a sin debt that we had built up towards God. We had sinned against him. We trespassed against him. But God, in his mercy, was eating our sin debt. Why couldn't God just simply say that we are forgiven? Why couldn't he just forgive us the debt? It's because his justice and his righteousness had to be satisfied. But you look at what he did 
And God is justly forgiving the cost of our sin. That's the most expensive bailout in all of mankind. That the incarnate Son of God went to the cross and he paid the penalty. He ate the cost of our debt of sin. So what's the meaning then of this sacrificial system? It means forgiveness by substitution. It simply means that Jesus died as a substitute in our place. When John the Baptist looked out and saw Jesus as Jesus began his ministry, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That means that Jesus came. The Bible describes him as the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. He came to die that death in our place as sin on our behalf. A lamb can't die. Even through all the Old Testament sacrifices that were made and lambs were sacrificed, they really can't die in our place and pay the price for our sin. But a human being could if that human was perfect and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus fully and completely satisfied the anger and the demand of justice by God so that you and I will never again face the penalty for our sin. And the third thing that Isaiah tells us is that Jesus was crushed by our iniquity on the cross. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a beautiful picture for us. It was painful for Jesus, but it's a beautiful picture. You imagine that? All of our sin. All of our sin that we've ever committed and ever will commit. All the sins of all people of all time of all the world. All of those sins were laid on Jesus on the cross. No wonder he was crushed by that. He had the weight of all the sin of all the world laid upon him. The Bible makes it clear that, that we have all sinned. Isaiah tells us that we all like sheep who've wandered away. We haven't followed the paths of God. We've chosen our own paths. We've wandered away. And like sheep become, we became lost. And then that lostness was known as sin, the wilderness of sin. And God took all of that sin and all of that rebellion against him and his righteousness and placed it on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus was so crushed by that sin that he was literally separated from God when he became sin. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was in that moment that that perfect fellowship between God the Father and God the Son was broken as Jesus became sin on your behalf and mine. He bore the punishment of sin that you and I should have borne. He was crushed by our iniquity that we might be forgiven and that we might be free and that we might be restored with God. So today we focus on the significance of the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus Christ. As a painting by Rembrandt entitled The Three Crosses, if you happen to see that painting and, and you, you look at it for uh, any period of time, I think you will be drawn to the center cross on which Jesus died. 
And then I think you'll be taken down to the foot of the cross where you can look at the people there gathered in the crowd and the different expressions that they have on their face. But then if you look closely enough, you will see that on the far side of the painting, almost hidden in the darkness of the shadows, there's a figure. And almost all art critics agree that this is Rembrandt and he's painted himself in there. And that he is saying by doing so that it was his sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. The reality is that every one of us is in that same position. Because we were the guilty ones. We were the sinners. And it's our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. So here's the significance of the crucifixion. Jesus died as a substitute in our place for our sin. And as we confess him as Savior and Lord, our sins are forgiven. We are restored to relationship with God. We have abundant life and eternal life rather than spiritual death. And today we come to remember that as we partake of this Lord's Supper. Sharing in the bread that reminds us of the body of Christ that was crushed. And sharing in the cup that reminds us of the blood of Jesus. That was shed as the sacrifice. That satisfied the demands of God for our sin. If you've come to experience the significance of the cross in your life. And you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. Whether you're a member of Spring Valley. Or simply of the family of God. We invite you to partake of the bread and the cup and to remember that Jesus died in your place.